Well, good morning. It's wonderful to look out on the body of Christ and see you guys together with you, us here. And good morning to those people watching online as well. Um, besides this brief word from Chad, he wanted me to read this as well. Um, to share with you guys that he and his family had gone to California this past week. Uh, there were two funerals that uh, were, had to be taken place there. And upon returning, he wasn't feeling really well, um, kind of under the weather, as he said. He did have a COVID test uh, late in the week this week, and it came back positive. So he's home in quarantine for another week right now. So um, he does appreciate your prayers, and certainly for himself and for his family. And as we are well aware, um, these are difficult days and, and dangerous days. So let's pray together. Huh? Father, we, <clears throat> we bow before you, Lord. Uh, Lord, you're the king of glory. You're the unshakable one, the uncreated one, the one who uh, has all power and might. And you're our dad. You're our father. So we come to you, Lord, and we come with our needs and our praises we come praising you, Lord, because there's no other way to come into your presence. But we also come, Lord, asking for your mercy and grace for Chad and his family, Lord, for Rika and the kids, for the other families and the congregation, Lord, and our family here, uh, God, that are suffering, that are going through a very difficult time. Lord, we just appeal to your mercy. Lord, we appeal to you because you're the healer. Lord, the doctors might take all the finances, but you're the one who heals. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, God. We pray in faith, Lord, that because we've come and appealed to you and sought you, Lord, that you will give grace and you will give mercy. And, Lord, we pray for this hour that we're together. May it be an hour of worship and praise. May it be a time, Lord, of us being disciples and learners. May we open our hearts to you, God, not just our ears. May we be the doers of the word that we hear today. And may we glorify you, Lord, in our lives. Hmm. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together today, to be here together. Lord, to be together one way or another. And Father, we pray that uh, your word would go forth with power and might, transforming us into the image of Jesus more and more. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> so we're continuing our series, We the Church. And last week in chapter 2, you heard from Pastor Josh, and he spoke about different people and the categories of their lives, whether they were young men or older men or young women or older women or masters or slaves, but the different ways in which under the new way of living that they were to be taught and they were to be trained and they were to be changed and how they were supposed to live. And so at the end of that uh, chapter 2, uh, the first 10 verses, you hear uh, these words from Paul saying to adorn the gospel and the doctrine of God, to adorn it. And Josh made a lot out of that, speaking about his beautiful wife and how her, the beauty of her wedding day, right? That th these things adorned her beauty. They made her even more beautiful. You see, Christians are advertising one way or another. You guys are each an advertisement, whether you like it or not. And each of you displays the gospel, whether you're aware of it or not, in your world. You see, Paul was saying to these Cretans, the word Cretan, by the way, as a world history teacher, was, um, it, it was a label, a really dark label. If you called somebody a Cretan, you meant they were the lowest level, kind of like lepers, kind of like the untouchables of India. They were just considered to be, to be disdain, disdained by people. 
But these Cretans were being taught a new way of life, a completely new way of life. And so Paul instructs Titus and says, this is how I want you to instruct them. Instruct them in these ways, right? And then he says in verse 10 that they would adorn the gospel. You see, each of us, you live in a unique place. God has sovereignly placed you in a mission field. Every one of us is placed in a mission field. It's your personal mission field. When Joe goes to work, when Felicia goes to work, when Michelle goes to work, they go into a place and they are uniquely placed by God's sovereignty in that place to be a demonstration of the gospel, to show forth Christ, to show people, because people aren't reading the Bible, believe me. Christians aren't reading the Bible enough, let alone the people where you work or where you live, your neighbors, you know, the guys and gals and your teammates, the moms and dads at the school. They're not reading the Bible if they're not being encouraged and strengthened by someone telling them, exhorting them to do so. The Bible they're reading is you. They're reading you. They're seeing whether or not you display something peculiar like Paul or like Peter said. You're a peculiar person in Christ. You're a different person in Christ. You're a unique person in Christ. And this was God's idea. He saved me over 40 years ago. He didn't take me off the planet Earth. He left me. He saved you, and he has remains with you, and he's transforming you, and he's changing you into the likeness of Christ day by day. As we abide in Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit and his grace in our lives, we're becoming more like Jesus. I hope. Is that true? Are you elbowing someone next to you? <laughs> Are you thinking of yourself or others? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming a great advertisement for him in that place? And that where you live, where you go, do people know, like, that guy, that gal, she's different. There's a kindness in her. There's a loving kindness. There's a love in her. There's a sacrificial heart in her. She shows something that isn't in our culture very often. See, that's the idea. So beginning with verse 11 through 15, it's explained it's explained to the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women, like why they should live this way and how they have the power to live this way. So let's look together at Titus 2, one of the marvelous chapters in the whole Bible, verses 11 through 15, that some pastors have spent 15 sermons preaching, and I'm going to spend 25 minutes. Titus 2, 11 through 15. That's where we're looking today. Let's look together. The word for should be replaced by because. The best translation of this is like, why should we live this way? Because the grace of God has appeared, Paul says, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Now verse 15 is Paul speaking to Titus. Titus is like a bishop of the church. He's an overseer of the church of Crete. And Paul is telling him, listen, Titus, declare these things. You hear my voice? That's Coaching Dale. That's Coaching Dale. That's, that's me telling that kid, you're going to run this sprint. Right? Declare these things. 
And when I speak to men, as I do in the ministry that I serve here in the church, I exhort them and I use a tone. And it's the type of tone we need to take as Christians because we're disciples. We're disciples. We're not sissies. We're disciples of Christ. And he tells us to pick up a cross and follow him and pay the price and run the race, right? And he says, do this with all authority. Now, I don't have authority. God has authority over all of our lives, each of our lives. He is the authority, and his authority comes in his word. And we are told here in verse 15 that as pastors, we are to exhort and we are to rebuke. So if some of you feel like, oh, you just slapped me verbally, I'm not apologizing. I'm not saying I'm sorry. What I'm saying is get in line. Come on board. Join the team. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. For all the sufferings of this world will mean nothing one second into heaven. In fact, what it will provide for you will be crowns that you can cast at his feet. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Live for Christ. Witness for Christ. Be his witness, his living testimony on the earth. That's why he left you here. That's why you're here. Let's talk together about verse 11. So verse 11 points us, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It's the grace of God that appeared in the first advent. Grace had been around. God had given grace in the Old Testament. God had given grace to Moses. God had given grace to David. Oh my goodness, yes. God had given grace even to Adam and Eve in their rebellion. He still gave them grace. He still gave them favor. You see, the grace of God is that unmerited favor. The grace of God is that, that love that he has for us for no reason whatsoever. It's the kindness that he shows us for no reason whatsoever. It's the loving greatness that he gives to us, the generosity that he gives to us. Grace, grace, amazing grace. Churches are named grace, right? Rightfully so. In the New Testament, grace is used hundreds of times. I looked at over 100 scriptures this week about grace. I was studying until my brain got kind of, you know, to a point where I closed my Bible and I just went, Lord, I am never going to get this. I'm never going to fully understand your grace. I don't think anybody can fully understand the grace of God. It's an overwhelming generosity of love and acceptance and forgiveness and mercy in spite of the fact that you're a rebel, that we were rebels, that we were blasphemous, that we were his opponent. The Bible says that we were his enemies, and yet he loved us. And while we were yet sinners, he loved us. You see, that's what grace is all about. His grace appeared. In what way? It appeared. What are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus came. Jesus came after all that history, thousands of years of history, and the law, and the testaments, and the prophets, and all that work with Israel. But now, something has happened. And what happened was Jesus appeared. And he appeared as a little infant. And five weeks from now, we'll be singing those songs. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. And they carried him into the temple, and there were prophets, and prophets were in the temple. And they, they saw Mary and Joseph with this little baby, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them, and they knew this was the Messiah. Salvation had come. Look at it. Look at this little salvation. The glory of God was in the babe. That's why the incarnation is so amazing. I hope you'll get amazed this year. I hope you'll get goosebumps this year. I hope you'll study and think about how could God, eternal, everlasting God, come as an infant, come as a vulnerable, weak, 
feeble, needy baby because he humbled himself and he appeared. The grace has appeared. That's why we can do it. The grace of God has appeared. And so we can live this way. We can be this way. We can be different people because he empowers us through his grace. See, grace is this generosity, and it's so amazing. It appeared, and appeared is a great word in the scriptures. I was studying it and kind of got it. Spurgeon was helping me. Tozier was helping me. Washer was, all these pastors were helping me. And I kind of get it. Appeared was like suddenly a light shine. Like if all the lights were off and suddenly these bright lights went on, he appeared. Suddenly he appeared. And you and I, where are we living? We're living in between the appearances of Jesus Christ. We're on the wonderful side of history where we're not trying to keep the law. We're not trying to obey all the rules. We're not just doing our best to please God. We're not having to take sacrifices and make atonement for our sins and kill little animals. We're not trying to sacrifice and please this God. We're living in the era of grace. We're living in the area of salvation. We're living in the era when God has opened up heaven. He has torn the curtain and God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ and he calls all men to salvation. He calls all of us to come. No restrictions. It's not just for the Jews. It's for all nations and all peoples. That's why this church sends and supports missionaries all over the world because this gospel is for everyone. He's bringing salvation for everyone. It's no longer for an exclusive group. It's for all people of all tribes and all nations. How wonderful is the grace of God. How marvelous is the grace of God. You see, in in John chapter uh, 1, John talks about this transition of time and the story of redemption. He says, For the law was given through Moses, right? All those centuries of them following the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, suddenly there's a change. And it's a marvelous change. And you and I are living in this period of grace. Do you know how rich this grace is to you? Do you know how wonderful it is that you have a God who loves you so much? Do you understand? Are you dwelling in this grace Do you know he never leaves you? He never forsakes you. He never takes his eyes off you. He undergirds you and he loves you while you're sleeping. He loves you while you're walking. He loves you while you're living. And he can't take his eyes off you. And he won't take his eyes off you because he loves you so greatly. Our God is a God of salvation. He's not a God of, he could have come in judgment. Right, He could have come rightfully so to, to this rebellious planet and he could have destroyed it and he could have ended human existence and he could have punished us eternally. But that's not who our God is. Our God is a saving God, a rescuing God. We were helpless and hopeless without him. Those outside of Christ remain helpless and hopeless, but Jesus Christ is our rescue He's our great champion. He comes and he sweeps us into his kingdom. And he brings us and gives us life eternal with him. How great a salvation. You see, in John 3, 17, God did not send his son to the world to condemn it. He didn't come to condemn us. He had the right. Every single person he would have judged and condemned. But he came in order that the world might be saved through him. Glorious grace. 
marvelous grace, absolutely unmerited. You see, there is a stumbling block for many, and it comes out of our world training. The stumbling block is I can do it myself. I can be good enough. I can satisfy this holy God. I, I, can, I can be better than everybody else. I, I can be I, 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 I. I can be the pharisaic guy whose self-righteousness reeks before God. It stinks. It's putrid. And it, costs, it causes Jesus to woe them, to threaten them, to tell them that they are doomed if they hadn't turned. If they don't turn, they'll be doomed eternally because there's a stumbling block the world taught you this stumbling block and teaches you this stumbling block that you can do enough, that you can earn it, that you can merit it. No one merits it. It's a gift of God. No one can boast. Only Christ saves, not your works. You know, you're coming up on chapter 3, and we used to sit around and sing Jesus songs, and we are goofy. We are a home church, and we are just Jesus freaks on fire for the Lord. And we would sing these really cute songs from the Psalms. And we would sing, not by works of righteousness, which he have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's in chapter 3 of Titus. Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved you by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. See, the world taught you everything the other way. Earn it, work, strive, hustle. Decl- you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I can't do that. I tried that. And God says, here's the gift. Here's my gift. Here's my son. Here's his blood. Here's his cross. Here's the ransom. Here's the payment. Will you take this gift? I want you to take this gift. God doesn't desire that any would perish, but that all would come to saving grace. He wants none to perish. He wants all to come home. He wants that throng in heaven to be billions upon billions that circle the throne with David on the harp. Old David will be playing the harp. And we'll be singing with all the saints of all time. And we'll be worshiping before him. That's what our God desires. Let's look at verse 12. So one thing peculiar about grace is it trains us. It trains us. You see, this grace that God gives to us is a living thing. He gives it to us in salvation. He gives it through us through the salvation in Christ. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit. And now we can live differently. Do you remember when you couldn't stop sinning? Well, hopefully you don't think the same way. But I remember when I couldn't stop swearing. I could not stop swearing. I knew it was wrong to swear, and I knew if I swear in front of my mom, she's going to get me. And I did have soap in my mouth. She was that old school. She made me stand in the bathroom with soap in my mouth in front of the mirror till it bubbled. I'm sorry, I just, it bubbled. And she said, you're never going to say that word again, right? I went, right, I'm never going to say that word. And then I swore. (laughs) You see, the training is part of being a disciple. And grace trains differently than the law 
the law says, do this, do this, do this, do this. This reminds me of my upbringing. Do this, do this, do this. But grace gives us power to live and power to live correctly. Now, there's three phases of this training. First of all, we need to be trained to renounce. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You see, we must throw off the, the wicked. We must throw it off. We have to throw it off. It is ours to do, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We have victory over sin. We have recovering alcoholics. We have recovering addicts. We have recovering porn addictions. We have people in our midst here who have recovered from things that the world couldn't fix and they couldn't fix. Only God could redeem. Only God could set them free. Only God can make them new. And they are new in Christ. And they live in victory today. Hallelujah. I say, hallelujah. There's no other way. There's no other God who can do this. Man can't do it. And even in the programs, they say, you need a higher power. You need God. And it's God alone who does this. And it's his grace in us that can help us change. So we have to renounce what? Ungodliness. All the things that are wicked, we have to renounce them. We have to say, no, deny that. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to continue in that sin. And these worldly passions, the lust of the flesh, the lust of my eyes, the lust of my heart, my pride of life, I am going to renounce those things. And now, renouncing those things, now, after getting rid of those things, I can live unto God. I must repent of these things. That's why repentance and faith go hand in hand in salvation. We must repent. We must turn from those things and walk forward with God. And then he teaches us to live. In the training, he teaches us to live, not just renounce and repent, but he teaches us to live. You see, in verse, the, his grace trains us to live self-controlled lives. So I want to talk to you about this three-dimensional life. You have a life, and it's three-dimensional in its practice of the presence of God and the, and, the, and the way you should live. First of all, you live a lonely, individual, singular life. And in that life, you need to be self-controlled. You need to live in a self-controlled way. Now, it used to be maybe you couldn't overcome certain things. But by the grace of God and the power of the resurrection that lives in you, you can. And you are to live a self-controlled life. You are to say no. You are to live in a temperate way. You are not to be overcome by passions. You are to live, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The last of those is self-control. The Holy Spirit gives you self-control. So if you're abiding in Christ, if you're walking with Christ, if you're living with Christ and you're keeping yourself in, in mindfulness of Christ, he will give you the power and the grace to, to control yourself. I was really amazed as a young Christian. I used to think, wow, I stopped swearing. I did. I haven't said some of these words for four decades now. Some of those really bad words. I was a hot college baseball guy, you know, I mean... Goodness gracious. And, and how? It was the power of God, the grace of God. That began to change me. And I thought, I'm getting holy. <laughs> I'm getting holy. Are you? Are you becoming more holy and more holy and more holy? Peter says, without holiness, no one will see God. That's the, that's the process of discipleship and transformation. We're becoming holy. So we are to live self-controlled lives by the fruit of the Spirit. We're to control those desires and not be overcome by them. And secondly, we are to live upright, righteous lives. That's what the Scripture says. Upright, righteous. What, what, that has to do with our relationships. 
That has to do with the way I treat one another. Am I showing kindness? Am I being loving? Am I being forgiving? You see, there's the next category of my life. There's my, my singular life, and there's my life in relationships with others. What are the people experiencing when they experience me? You might walk out of here today and say, that guy's goofy. That guy's goofy, but you know what? I love you. I love you. You're the church. You're my family. I'm going to be with you forever. I love you. I pray for you all the time. I pray for your lives. I ask God to do wonderful things in your life. I prayed for you so many times this week. I love you. I might be a goofball. I get that. I'm an old goofball, but I love you. Is that what people see in you? Kindness, care, unselfishness. Do you love one another? Jesus said that would be the banner over us. We'd be known by our love. People would distinguish us by this love. So that's the second thing. And grace trains us. I didn't used to love people. I couldn't stand them and I'd use them. They were something to take advantage of. Now I love you. You're made in the image of God. You're an immortal person. You live forever. And in Christ, I love you. I want no harm for you. I want God's grace to you. You see, that's how we live by the grace of God. And then thirdly, there's another one, that we are to live godly lives. Godly lives. And that is that he's with me always. I don't have a separation. I can't go someplace without him. I can't be in relationship with people without him being part of it. He is my life. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's reverent life. It's a holy life. It's a life that Jesus is creating in me and making him more like himself. See, he's preparing us for heaven. He's preparing us for what will be. He's making us for himself. He's doing this in each of us. And yeah, we go two steps forward and one step back. Repent. We fall off. Repent. He knows that. He knows our frame. He knows Dave. He knows Dave is weak. I love Dave. I love that guy. He knows Joe. He, I love Joe. He knows we're weak vessels. We're dust. So he's ready to forgive us at any time. He's so ready to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is go to him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And he says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. I forgive you. That's him. That's who he is. And that's who we need to be. God is our obsession, our constant companion. You see, so there's the three dimensions. There's a dimension regarding ourself. There's a dimension regarding ourselves with others. And there's a dimension between us and him. And this one never stops. You do not escape the eyes of God. You are never alone. And it's such a good thing to know. Because many, many times in my tears, places alone with God. But he's with me always. I have known him for over 40 years. He has never forsaken me. He has never left me. I have never been alone for over 40 years. And that's who he is. And he's seeking you in the same way. He's seeking to be near you always. The third way he trains us is, is, is to wait. We are to wait. Look at verse 13. 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to wait. See, this is a unique part. While the world is absolutely fixed on all the troubles and the circumstances and the madness of the hour and the days, what are we fixed on? We are fixed on this truth, unchangeable. He's coming back. He's coming soon. He's coming for his own. He's going to burst through the sky. He's coming again. He's coming to redeem, to bring home the redeemed. He's coming in his glory. He's not coming as a baby. He's not coming as a humiliated little one. He's, not, he's coming as majesty. He's coming as the king of kings. He's going to break through the sky with the angels and the saints, and he is going to declare the earth his own. He is going to rule and reign, and we are his. You're not ready for this. Nobody can be truly, fully ready for this, because suddenly, suddenly the sky is going to open, and he is going to burst forth in his glory. And I mean glory that you can't imagine. None of us can imagine. It's incomprehensible, the glory of God. It is beyond anything we can imagine, the glory of God. But he's coming, and he's coming soon. That's why I said we're living in a fabulous state. We're living here on this side of the cross, where he has redeemed us, where he has set us free, where we are his people, we belong to him, and now we're anticipating he's coming again. When in the 1970s, when I got saved, I thought I'd never seen the 1980s. I thought by then, I'm out of here. I was sure of it. I had a full head of hair. I thought I'd get to heaven with hair. I was very wrong. It's very wrong. But he's coming. We're closer now than we've ever been. You see, the world is going, gee, I wonder what will happen when we start living on other planets and when we start exploring the universe. Jesus is coming. Are you living in such a way that you're, you're showing forth that you believe that? Are you living in such a way that when he comes, you won't be embarrassed? Are you, are you living in such a way that when he comes, you'll be about the business that he calls us to, the good works that he calls us to? He's coming. Every creed that we read, whether it's the Apostles' Creed or the other ones, declares this because Jesus said, I'm coming soon. No man knows the hour of the day, but I'm coming. And I'll come like a thief in the night, but I'm coming. Every promise God has ever made, God has kept. He will keep this promise. And it's a blessed hope for us. It is such a blessed hope. I'm 68 years old. I'm wearing down. I'm getting weaker. But God is my hope and my salvation. And it won't be long. I'm closer than ever. I'm one day closer to his coming. He may come for me individually first. He may come and take me home before he comes for the whole church. But I'm waiting and I want to be ready. And I want to be living, serving, serving this God. He's worthy to be served. That's my response. I don't do this because I'm paid to do it. I don't do it because, uh, I don't know. I do it because he's worthy. He's worthy to be served. He's worthy to be, to be my life to be laid down for him. I lay my life down. I surrender it. And I keep surrendering it for his glory and his name. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's the rock. And let this world shake. Let it shake. He said he would shake everything in the end times. Jesus said, I will shake it all. But there will be something unshakable, and that's his kingdom. Because God cannot be shaken, and he is the rock. He is our rock. We stand upon this rock, 
and we're safe and we're his and he's coming soon. So in verse 14, finally, I know I'm skipping fast. Listen to this verse, how beautiful this verse. Who gave himself for us, Jesus, to redeem us from all unlawlessness or all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, according to this verse, I can understand and so can you why Jesus saved you. Why did he save you? He saved Mark so that Mark would be a testimony to addicts. That he would go and proclaim Jesus Christ to men who, and women who are trapped in addiction. And he would carry the gospel with them. That's why he saved them. To purify Mark, to make him a better husband to Judy, to make him a better man. But he purified him for the sake that he would make Mark his possession. He's doing that with each of us. He's purifying us so that he can take us as his own, his possession. For what? For good works. That we would be for the zealousness of good works. Are you zealous? Zealous means on fire. Do you know that God is zealous over you? He's zealous about you. He has a passionate love for you. We should be zealous for good works in the name of Jesus. One of the great, great pastors of the past said, do as much good as you can for as long as you can to as many as you can. That's living for Christ. Do as much as you can for as many as you can for as long as you can. That's living for Christ. Zealous for good works. That's why he's left us. Why doesn't God just write his name across the sky? Because he's written his name in our hearts. And we're Jesus walking around with skin on. We're Jesus walking around in the world of Northeast Ohio. We're Jesus. He's come to live in us. Paul said it. It's not me anymore. It's him. It's him and me. It's him. So pray. Pray for the domination of Jesus Christ in your heart. Pray that he would dominate in you and that your choice, your willful choice is surrender. I surrender. A friend of mine talked to me lately about a thing he's been going through and he was t- describing it to me and I simply said to him, as a friend, I loved what he was saying. I got tears in my eyes when he told me. I said, you're talking about an absolute surrender. What you're talking about is you are absolutely, absolutely, completely surrendering your life to Jesus, aren't you? And he went, yes, I am. No fear, no worry, no care. I'm surrendering everything to Christ. He paid the price. He deserves our lives. He's given us his. What a beautiful exchange. This broken man, this broken life for his life, for eternity. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for redeeming us, for buying us, for paying for us with your blood. It wasn't silver and gold, Lord, you paid for us. 
You set us free. Thank you, God, for calling us to zealous works, to be a people peculiar, unique in the world, living for good things, following you, Jesus. Lord, teach us about this cross training. Teach us to pick up our cross and follow you. Teach us to do this daily, Lord, that we might be your disciples in this generation and that your kingdom would grow and your name would gain renown. We ask in Christ's name, amen.